Hello, I'm Duncan Wilson, and welcome to this podcast produced by the International Monetary Fund. As bad as life is for many in this difficult economy, in a new book, the author Sylvia Nasser reminds us that life for the majority in the 18th century was far worse. Then the standard of living for the typical Englishman was hardly better than that of a Roman slave, she writes. In Grand Pursuit, the story of economic genius, Nasser, who made her name writing the story of game theorist John Nash, turns her attention to the making of modern-day economics. Through the lives of key figures including Marx, Schumpeter, and Friedman, the author explains how economics was key to freeing man from poverty, squalor, and misery. One of the most important characters in this epic history is, unsurprisingly, John Maynard Keynes, who dominated much of economic thought in the 20th century. I spoke to Sylvia Nasser about her new work and asked her what she had discovered about this giant of economic history. He was the ultimate pragmatist. He had a sunny, confident personality. He never took offense in the sense that he could ally himself with his worst enemy if he thought he could do something positive. I and mean, he was a real problem solver. He was successful in school. And so he got to King's College, he was, I don't know, 17 years old. He took one look around and he announced that, well, they could, you know, certainly use some better management around there. So he always felt that we can do better. And he always felt that he could contribute, even about things that he really knew nothing about. But it was a great, it was a great attitude. And in the course of your research, what new information did you find on Keynes? He was a bad tipper. He was a bad tipper. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was pretty tight in general. He was a real inflation hawk. He was definitely not an egalitarian. He would never, I mean, he would have died before he joined the Labor Party. Or He was gay. Then he had this great marriage to this great Russian ballerina. You know, he changed his mind. He kind of, like, went with life and had this pivotal historical role. So how significant was Keynes's impact on economics over the course of his life? He became a celebrity uh, at the end of World War I and again in the Depression and again and most successfully in World War II. And the most amazing thing about his story is that in the first two episodes, his advice is not taken and no one agrees with him. So he's one of those rare people who has this third act when, you know, he finally prevails. Why? Because by the time uh, World War II comes to an end, FDR and Churchill had learned from earlier mistakes and understood that they had to create conditions that would allow for economic recovery after World War II, or even more the world was going to, you know, fall into the, the communist bloc. And there was Sylvia Nasser on John Maynard Keynes, one of the key characters in a newly published history of modern economics. That book will be reviewed in this December's Finance and Development magazine by the historian Robert Skidelsky. The recent Great Recession has revived interest in Keynes and pitted him against Austrian economist Friedrich von Hayek. Put crudely, the debate is whether Hayek's free market economics, or Keynesian state intervention, is the best way out of our current economic woes. In this commentary, Robert Skidelsky, the biographer of Maynard Keynes, puts his confidence firmly in the British economist. The British economy is flat on its back. This wouldn't have surprised Keynes. 
His general theory, forged in the Great Depression of 1929 to 1932, was written to explain why the recovery from that slump was so feeble. His proposition was revolutionary. There were no automatic forces for recovery in a capitalist market economy. The economy would go on shrinking till it reached some low level of stability. Keynes called this position underemployment equilibrium. The economy would then stay there till something happened to revive what he called the animal spirits of businessmen. Well, here we are. Keynes said that in this situation, the government needed to run a deficit to whatever extent necessary to offset the decline in private spending. To cut government spending in a slump was completely the wrong policy. It wouldn't produce growth, only prolonged stagnation. Keynes's message was, you can't cut your way out of a slump, you've got to grow your way out of it. Unless there's growth, the government won't even meet its own deficit reduction targets. It was Friedrich von Hayek who upheld the orthodox theory which Keynes was attacking. Hayek said that the main cause of slumps was excessive credit creation by the banks, leading to overinvestment. The boom was the illusion, the slump was the reality. So the slump must be allowed to run its course till all the bad investments had been liquidated. The US Secretary of the Treasury at the time, the millionaire Andrew Mellon, was a great liquidator. Mr. Mellon had only one formula, wrote his boss, Herbert Hoover. Liquidate labor, liquidate stocks, liquidate the farmer, liquidate real estate. It'll purge the rottenness out of the system. People will work harder, lead a more moral life. Hayek and Keynes never debated their differences at a public meeting. But in 1931, Hayek came to Cambridge to explain his theory to an audience of young economists. He impressed on them that the only way to recovery was for everyone to save more. One of them got up. Professor Hayek, is it your view that if I went out tomorrow and bought a new overcoat that would increase unemployment? Yes, replied Hayek, turning to a blackboard which had filled with triangles but it would take a very long mathematical argument to explain why. Contrast this with Keynes. Whenever you save five shillings, you put a man out of work. Hayek's liquidationist policies were faithfully followed by the German Chancellor Heinrich Brüning and brought Hitler to power. Hayek later wrote a famous book, The Road to Serfdom, claiming that Hitler's rise had nothing to do with the slump. In the United States, Roosevelt became president, with the American economy at a standstill, and he, as we all know, started the New Deal. Worsted in his battles with Keynes, Hayek gave up serious economics, though not serious writing. He and Keynes developed a wary respect and even liking for each other. We get on very well in private life, Keynes wrote, but what rubbish his theory is. Keynes's magnetism made a deep impression on Hayek, but he never stopped believing that Keynes's influence on economics was both miraculous and tragic. So I've put the argument. Who would you prefer to be in charge of our economic life today? Keynes or Hayek? And that was historian Robert Skidelsky with his stout defense of John Maynard Keynes 
And you can read Skidelsky's review of Sylvia Nass's new book at www.fnd.org. 